The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Meg, very much. And thank you, Dave and Leah, for sharing. We had Dave and Leah come up because sometimes we need to hear a story how God is working in other places. Seventy years old, and I bet that apple strudel has gotten much, much better with age, and I mean that. Uh, I was in uh, her doctoral theological German class, which I, I cannot speak a lick of German. I could hardly write it. I barely passed her test, but uh, I ate a lot of her food, and I can tell you I came out uh, much heavier than I was back then. So. Uh, God is good, but thank you. Thank you for letting us be able to pray for a sister in Christ who has been here, who has been in this area, and uh, we look forward to hearing how God works. We really do. Thank you, guys. Well, I invite your attention this morning to a very familiar passage of Scripture for many of us in Mark chapter 6, uh, Mark chapter 6 this morning, and uh, I had planned to do three sermons on this passage, but you get one, so that means actually it's shorter, it's more direct, and hopefully very encouraging to you. As we look at Jesus feeding the 5,000 this morning. Uh, just a reminder tonight, want to remind you, 5 o'clock tonight, if you're able to make it as we talk through our church and our future, 
and all things. And there will be plenty of pizza, ziti, uh, lasagna, uh, breadsticks, and hopefully someone brings a salad. There's a little note for you uh, to balance all that good stuff out as it comes to be. And even if you don't want to eat, come and fellowship. We had a great time last month just sitting around talking. Uh, people were here until almost 8 o'clock uh, chatting. So you can leave when you do, but uh, be encouraged by that. Well, there's a story uh, about a pastor and his daughter, and our daughter's not quite here yet, but uh, someday I'm sure she will be. Uh, the, the pastor had a five-year-old daughter, and uh, the pastor did very similar to what you'll see in this picture every Sunday. Every Sunday before he got up to, uh, during the offertory time, he noticed that her dad stood behind the pulpit, and before getting ready to preach, he'd bow his head and put his hand up in the air. And, and for a five-year-old, that just seemed very curious. Dad never did that at home. Dad, or, Dad never did anything like that. So one day after the service, this curious five-year-old girl, as only a five-year-old girl could, asked and said, Daddy, what was that all about? And she, he said, Honey, I was praying that God would give me a good sermon. And the, dad looked at, and the daughter looked at him and said, Dad, you better do a lot more praying because that wasn't very good at all. So <laughs> no matter how long it took. It's a great reminder to us that we walk by faith and not by sight, isn't it? That as we go through this world, as we do the things in this world, that often the things that you don't appear to be going well are often the things that God uses. And 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that. You walk by faith and not by sight. If God is not sovereign over all, then he's not sovereign over anything. But what we do know from this is that just like this little girl, this dad doing this thing that seems so weird, dad, why do you do that, is the story we're going to look at is Jesus gets to make a lot out of a little. In fact, you know the story well enough. You know it's five loaves and two fish. But if God is not sovereign over all, he's not sovereign over anything, but he is. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German of all people, told us that only he who gives thanks for little things receives big things. And friends, today we are going to look at a story that, albeit familiar to us, is one that we need to be reminded of, is that is how God works. It is often not the big production of machines, it is working through the faithfulness of his people. So how does God make a lot out of a little, spiritually speaking, in our lives? Some days it seems like we can barely just get through the day, let alone do the things God wants us to do. So how do we do that? And how can our lives count for something big? I mean, isn't that what we want? Don't we want our lives to mean something? This past week on Wednesday, you saw, many of you, the death, the passing of Billy Graham, who had been out of the limelight. And, and, and to be honest with you, he's had a ghostwriter for years who writes his columns. He had long since mentally been unable to do the things, but he's been around 99 years of ministry. He started his ministry before World War I started. Isn't that crazy? But yet, you ask a lot of young people and say, who's that guy, Billy Graham? And they say, I don't know. Is that a, is that a cereal? Is Billy Graham, Graham Flakes or something? I don't know. But no one knew what he was. But it was cool on Wednesday to watch the news show old excerpts of his preaching about the gospel, the clear gospel. I didn't agree with him on everything. You wouldn't agree with him on everything. You wouldn't agree with me on everything. That's all right. But everything we did agree on was the gospel. A man from the backwoods of North Carolina was used to spread the gospel millions, if not billions, of people. Can we do that today? Is it possible that our lives could count for such a mighty work of God, even if it never makes the airwaves? I think it is, and I think it's possible. And we need to be reminded, as the big idea says, that you will have times of physical weakness. Our family's there. We've had sickness passing through our house. Ugh, I'm okay. The rest are not, but it's all good. But your significant weakness is not your physical weakness. 
Your most significant weakness, mine, is spiritual. And for that, we have a strength-giving Savior. Aren't you grateful for that? As we look at the story of Jesus today, we're going to ask the big question, why didn't Jesus just feed them all right away? He just keeps talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. But Jesus is going to teach us a great lesson that we should not despise the days and weeks and years of small things. In fact, the Christian life is filled with many great things, not filled with many great things, but rather many small things that add up to something great. And that is what we will see today. So three truths as we serve are all sufficient God. And this is what I want to look at. They're very straightforward from the passage, but they're great reminders for us. First off, we need to take a break from ministry like Jesus did. Secondly, we need to exercise compassion for others like Christ did. And thirdly, we need to meet the basic needs of others like Christ did. You know, it's interesting. This is the only miracle outside the resurrection of Jesus Christ that all four gospel writers put together. Isn't that interesting? Why? I mean, this is so mind-blowing. The miracle for Matthew and Luke, they were interested in just the fact that it happened. How can five loaves, two fishes turn in, a small offering turn into something big? But John takes it a little bit deeper in John 6. He gets into the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, and those who eat of him, physically but spiritually speaking, is the people who will live on. For Christ alone can satisfy, save, and sustain our souls. But Mark, the, the last gospel writer, looks at the compassion of Jesus. And out of his tender mercy, how Jesus looks over this crowd and sees them, as you well know the phrase, sheep without a shepherd. And he takes that to mean something very in particular. That Jesus was not just plowing through life, not just trying to get things done, but with getting things done, flowing out of his heart was a love for people and their great need, especially the need to hear about himself, the Savior. But the miracle shows us two things. It tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man who is the one. And it harkens back to the miracle of uh, the manna in the desert. Because in that manna, you remember that, don't you? How, can you imagine being an Israelite and all of a sudden there shows up this kind of glowy little thing that's sweet and tastes like honey? I would, my kids would love that if that happened every day. You know, we give them uh, French toast sticks in the weekends. That's their special treat. But if they had French toast sticks every day called manna, that would be pretty awesome. That's how it works. But the miracle that Jesus is going to perform here that shows us he's the all-sufficient Savior points back to the fact that they were in a desolate place way out in the middle of nowhere and that, 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 that God had to do a great work, but it came in this little form of manna. And yet Jesus does the same thing with five loaves and two fish. This miracle shows who he is but also what he came to do. He came to break the power and bondage of, of sin to set people free. With that in mind, will you join me in standing if you're able this morning as we read a pretty lengthy section here, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Verses 30 through 44. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning, as we often do. It says this, The apostles returned to Jesus. And let me just stop there. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, with this, but remember, they were out. They were out serving and sharing. They were healing. They were preaching the gospel. All those things. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went, verse thirty-two, away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. But now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them." 
when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, speaking of Jesus, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Notice that's the third time. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And talking, and rather taking the leaves, or the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said in a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples so they sat before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And verse 42, and I love this, all the Baptists say amen. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces in the fish, and those who ate the loaves were around 5,000. This miracle is so important that all the gospel writers record it. It's so important that we need to be reminded of it today. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come before you, we realize this is a very familiar story. A very familiar story. But often with familiar, familiarity, it does breed contempt because we think we know it all. And Father, even if it's stuff we do know, may you refresh, may you fire afresh, as Peter said, those truths that we need. Father, if there are new truths that we need today, may you speak through your spirit, not by me, simply by a person, Lord, but, but through your word, speak, impress upon your people the need for Christ greater in our lives. Thank you for each one today, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Well, I, just as you're finding your way there in your seat, I, I was going to try and do Mark 6.30 as a, a sermon, Mark 6.31-33 as a sermon, and then the rest of the passage. So we're getting this in three chunks uh, as, as God leads. But I, I want you to remember here that as we start out, that Jesus is going to tell them first off that sometimes they need to take a break from the ministry like Christ did. Mark returns back after this mission, and you may remember that. Uh, last week, as we celebrated the baptism in Abby and Hannah, we went through that, that kind of dark passage, didn't we, about John the Baptist. But two weeks ago, we talked about the, the, the apostles being sent out, commissioned. And here they are described as apostles. You may notice that uh, here in the early parts. He, he immediately, he, he tells us that the apostles returned. The apostles were uh, the people who, who knew Jesus, who were commissioned by Jesus and sent out to do his work. And they rehearsed all they had taught and done. You may remember God sent them out two by two, didn't he? As he sends us out with a job to do. But they had had great success. It had been a great missionary endeavor. It is a reminder to us, just right off the get-go here, and Amy's going to throw this up, that when Jesus authorizes us and empowers us, we can anticipate his blessings in what we do. We must simply believe and go. They return to debrief and evaluate their successes. And this is how the Lord did it. He would teach them. He would send them. He would have them return and report. And I doubt we can improve on that model as things go today. We as a church look at this passage. Let's keep that in mind. As we go out, even if things seem so unreachable, may we be reminded that God grants to those who are faithful and seeking his blessing for his glory, not our own purposes. 
Notice there in verse 30 that we are called to rejoice in God's blessings. Notice that they shared with the Lord all they had done and taught. And if you go back to verse 12 of the same chapter, Mark chapter 6, verse 12, what did they do? You may remember this. Uh, Mark chapter 12 tells us that they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed oil with those who were sick. So what we know from this passage is that they reported everything. They cast out many demons. They had saved many people. They had healed many folks, and they preached the same message. Can you imagine that? How many of y'all have ever gone on a mission trip before, some of y'all, and you come back? And you are just on cloud nine. Let me tell you what God did this week. You are so excited. You are just, woo, like that. Like that uh, WWE guy, uh, McMahon, that goes, woo, like that. That's just how you feel. Jesus did this. Because he did. You get back into your job and your life and your routine, and then it's like, oh, Jesus, woo. We got bread on the table. Friends, may we remember that every Sunday we come, the purpose of being is to remind ourselves that we have the truth. We have the greatest truth. We have the only truth, and that is the same one that they shared. Can you imagine how much work they put into this? Many of you deal with physical things. All That's tough. That's tough work. A lot of you deal with people and physical things. That's doubly hard work. And yet they told him all they had done and taught. And Jesus tells them in verses 31 and 32, guys, it's time to take a break. Take a chill pill. Thank the Lord. But that's how it goes. And some people rust out in ministry because they're lazy. Others burn out because they never take a break. And notice what Jesus tells them there in verses 31 and 33. He says, guys, he says very clearly, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And why? Why do they need to rest? Jesus, we just all this great success. Let's go out while the water is warm and good. and, And let's get some more people for you, Jesus. But he reminds them that they need some downtime. He reminds them they need a break in the action, some R&R. If there's not even time to eat, there is no time to relax. There's no time to rest. They've been walking for miles, and it was not a sin for them to take a brief break. It would have been a, a sin not to. The same is true for us, church, is that so often, the greater the demands, the greater our need to find time alone in a desolate place with the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives them a command. He says, rest a while. And they leave, and they went on a boat, verse 32 tells us, away for a little bit. Now, that's interesting to me because I don't know about you, but we're Americans especially. We live off momentum, don't we? Hey, the Royals won their first spring training game. Yes, come on, World Series 2018. We got this, you know. No matter what it is, we love momentum. Why would Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who in his sovereign majesty, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, all those great theological things, why would he say to them, oh, you did wonderful, but now you have to take a break? Because Jesus knows as a man now, the God man, that that's exactly what they needed. And I think there are several practical things Amy's going to put up here for us that I think are gleaned from these few verses that we need to be reminded of as a church, as Christians. First, there is a time to work. There is a time to work. Laziness has no place in the Christian life. We're called to work as we are able to provide not only for ourselves, our families perhaps, but maybe an extended family. There is a time to work. Work is a command given by God even in the garden. 
But secondly, we should have periods of rest. We really, really should. And I'm pointing uh, five, ten fingers back at myself because I'm the most guilty of this. I tried my best on Fridays, which is my day off, to, to not answer the phone, not look at email. Obviously, things come up. Things need to be answered. But that's how it goes. We need rest. Physically, we need rest spiritually. And being a workaholic is not spiritual. It's actually very sinful. You're saying to God, God, I can outperform you. I can outwork you. I can outdo you. But God reminds us, I don't slumber or sleep, Darren. Therefore, you can take a rest. It's okay. Third, rest is best accompanied by solitude and companionship. Some of you, if you had the opportunity to go on a month-long floating trip by yourself with no one around, you would jump on that opportunity. Amen? That would be a lot of fun. Hopefully you have a phone and we can call you if we need to. But, but rest is best accompanied, not just by getting away, but you notice here that they went together. Jesus didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out as a group together in a desolate place. And rest is for a specific time. You know, it's, it's funny how the, the culture has shifted because after this, it, it's very interesting because rest is, is for a specific time. Rest is not forever. That's why, and I, I praise God for a Sunday like this that we talk about Charlotta, Dave and Leah, because we, we think about someone at 70 years old who should be retiring, who says, no, I'm not going to let that go until God tells me to let it go. There's a rest period, but it's not permanent. And finally, I want you to see this. Even while resting, be prepared for ministry if necessary. You ever been on a vacation before, and you're like, yes, I can finally get away. Or if you're on a plane, I hardly fly these days, and you just want to sit there and not get coughed on by the person next to you, and you just want to be in your bubble, and, and, and all of a sudden you get that chatty Kathy right next to you. God, I just want to take a nap. God, I'm going to close my eyes. And you know God's telling you to share the gospel with that person. And you're ignoring it, and there she's chatting on, and she says, what do you do for a living? I, I talk to people. What do you talk to people about? You know, moral things. You know, how easy you can dodge these things. But when God calls you, even in your rest, be prepared that God may have for you a ministry itself. How often on vacation have you run into people who you never would meet probably ever again, and God puts them on your heart. Maybe you pray for them. Maybe you give them something. Maybe you touch base with them. But God calls us to rest, but also to keep our eyes open as we rest. To be a devoted follower of him is never off duty. Friends, I encourage you today because we have very hardworking people in this church. Very hardworking people. Blue collar, white collar, retired, young, old, etc. May you consider those words of what Jesus told them to do as you go forward with everything that he has called you to do. So Jesus tells us our greatest need is spiritual, but with that comes physical. But notice secondly that we need to exercise compassion for others like Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 33, if you will. And it says that, Now many saw them going. So much for that rest period, right? Many saw them going and recognized them. They're trying to get away, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. Can you imagine that? God, God's telling us to take a rest, and all these people are coming. You know, Jesus, you're God. Why don't you just, like, put a bubble over us so we can be invisible for five minutes? That would be nice. As a parent, you understand that. You know, even when you're, you know, you're using the restroom. Mom, where you at? Come on. These guys are tired. But Jesus is telling them that even in this, they are going to be preparing for ministry. And in verse 34, it says that once they got there, 
Jesus says they went ashore. And they're going up a hillside, according to John chapter 6, as we know from the other accounts. And he saw a large crowd. How big was this large crowd? You heard the number. 5,000, and specifically, if your Bible says this in verse 44, 5,000 men. Now, ladies, this means nothing against you. Back in the day, they counted mainly by men. It's very likely that there could have been between ten and 15,000 people total in this type of thing. Ladies, you, you who cook, can you imagine 5,000 people coming over? 5,000 men coming over to eat food? That would be uh, enough buffets could never get this. Matthew 14, 21 tells us that there were women and kids, and, and, and as it often goes, there's often more women than men in spiritual gatherings. So probably 10, maybe 15, even 20,000, depending on who you talk to. And he goes, and they seize a great crowd. And instead of saying, no, we're taking a rest, Jesus has what on them? He has compassion. It means that the Lord was touched at the very depth of his soul. Literally, his stomach, his intestines, his bowels. It means that our Lord saw them. And I love this about Jesus because it means our Savior is not stoic. He's not indifferent. He saw them in all their needs represented in their lives, and he felt knotted up. He felt pity for them. You know, some people in the, in the church will say, I like that person, I, I, I love that person, but I don't have to like that person. How in the world does that work anyway? He says, I saw compassion. And so many people in the church say, I'm just going to put up with this person because that's what Jesus wants me to do and just go through the motions. But not Jesus. His heart was in this. He wasn't just going to plow through, feed him, and go rest. He wanted to do this. And isn't it a great reminder that our Savior was human? You know the shortest verse in the Bible, or one of them, Jesus wept, John 11. And, and at the death, he, he wept for his friend. But how unlike Jesus were the Greek gods of the time, were the Roman gods, who they were above, they were separated, they didn't care a lick about the troubles on earth. But Jesus came to earth that he might enter into this world and know what it's really like to face all of our heartache. Did he know that? Yes, of course he did. We need to remember that he is not a robot. Jesus is not like, you know, doing the robot dance up. Uh, you know, he's a real breathing human, yet fully God. And I'm grateful for that. Because when there are things in my life that I think that, 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 are, that are tough, if I were to pray to most of the gods out there today, they would be just a distant deity or a stoic sovereign. Or a, but, uh, but our Savior felt compassion for us. Gilbert, we've got to sing this next week. I'm putting you on the spot, so you've got 100 witnesses with you, so here you go. Gilbert, we need to sing the deep, deep love of Jesus, that old hymn. Uh, you've probably heard it before. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling like a mighty, a mighty ocean in fullness over me. Y'all know the song, the deep, deep love of Jesus? No one knows the song, Gilbert, so it's all on you, brother. Deep, deep love of Jesus next week, please. Rolling like a mighty ocean in fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of thy law. This is a servant of the Lord, not just cranking it out. I have to get this done. These people are here. But every step along his journey, his heart, his soul, his emotions are engaged for the work he has come to do. Why? Notice why. It tells us why. It's very clear. It makes preaching very easy, in fact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mark. It says he had compassion on them. Why? Verse 34, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
He saw them as they truly were. He, he looked past their facade. He looked past, you know, no doubt many of them were successful business people. Many of them had it all together. Many of them were, by the world's eyes, doing well. But as Jesus saw for them, he, in fact, inside at least, wept for them. These sheep were totally and completely helpless. You know the sheep analogies. You're a sheep. I'm a sheep. We're all sheep. And, and I'm the shepherd, which I don't know if that makes it any better, but here it is. Sheep can't provide. They can't protect. They can't think for themselves. They're dumb. They're defenseless. They're directionless. All sheep do is nibble on grass, even if they can find some, if they can find it on their own. Congratulations. That's all of us in the Bible. Amen? But spiritually speaking, these people were not just sheep without a shepherd physically. They were having needs met at various times, but they were abandoned by their own faithful leaders. They were abandoned by those who were fleecing the flock and taking from the people and subjecting them to all sorts of legalism. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the Jewish leaders of the day were doing it for their own good and their own way. But Jesus felt compassion on them. And I want you to know this. This is so important. I'm focusing a lot of the energy right here, but I want you to get this. Jesus felt compassion on them, not because they didn't have food, but notice next what it says. He had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he started making them Big Macs in the back room. He started giving them a gift card to Aldi. No, it says he began to what? Teach them many things. That's significant, guys. I don't want you to think we have wrong motives in sharing this. He demonstrated his love not by patting them on the head, not by a gospel hug, and I want to institute this in every way, in an appropriate way, a holy kiss. There was nothing, that's biblical, by the way. He showed his love for them by ministering to them at their greatest need. Not meeting felt needs on the outside. Jesus sought to minister them at a spiritual level. You know, often we hear people say, and it's discouraging, I can't really remember what the preacher said, but what I do remember is fill in the blank. Praise God for those fills in the blank. They mean well, but it doesn't say much about the preacher. Turn to some note in your Bible, the gospel, the truth of the apostles, something that God connected with your, with your life. That is the most important thing that can be shared with you. He began to feed them spiritually before he began to feed them physically. All right, Darren, so you're saying if someone's dying on the side of the street that we just get up and read the Bible to them and, and life is going to be okay? Watch out for extremes. But I want you to know that his emphasis was on spiritual things. His emphasis was not on their physical needs. Well, that's interesting, Pastor, because many churches are built on the felt needs of people. Let's go around door to door and ask people what they want in a church and then make a church based on their felt needs. Jesus doesn't do that here, does he? He teaches the truth. What does he teach them? It says many things. Jesus gave himself fully to them at a very great length. And that's what a loving shepherd does. He shepherds them first, and then he feeds them. That's why some churches claim to be a loving church. It's very interesting. Where I didn't plan it this way, but we're talking about preaching tonight. But they never teach the Word of God. They never share the Word of God. They are back-slapping church. They mistake love for not speaking love. And that's what Amy will throw up there for us. True love speaks truth. True love speaks truth in love as to minister and edify and make strong. But only God's truth can do that. I've shared this story several, when I first came here about my friend uh, Brian Peters, and he's going to watch this later, uh, about how they were in the hill countries of Thailand. His dad was a missionary. 
they went up and they built a well, which is a great thing. They had fresh water for the first time, probably in their whole existence. But yet, they did not share the gospel. So, Pastor, you're saying that I can never do a good thing unless I share the gospel. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to be very careful that what we do when we share a good deed doesn't simply play to their sinfulness. Friends, people like good things. People try to do good things to get to heaven. Doing a good deed is not a bad thing, but if you do a good deed just to do a good deed without Jesus Christ, then it's just another good thing that the devil uses to harden their heart. It's because of Jesus feeding them spiritually as he prepares the way for them physically. And notice, notice what it is. There's a late hour attached here. Jesus is talking, you mean a preacher, pastor is talking a long time? Well, praise the Lord for that. Amen, church? He says that it was late in verse 35, and it grew late. His disciples are starting to check their watches, and they say to him, it's interesting here, it's late in the year, it's probably April time, they're, they're going to sit on green grass later, it's probably around 5 o'clock, their hungry souls were taking it in, they didn't care, but there's always one of those guys in the church that says, Pastor, it's lunchtime, let's get out of here, let's go. But they're in a desolate place, they're way out in the boonies, they're in the sticks, they're off Highway H to J to U to whatever else county road you can throw out there. And when he gets there, it's a desolate place, and it's, it's, it's late. And so what they say, basically, is uh, uh, when he went ashore, he saw them, and they said, this is a desolate place. Get these people out of here. Jesus, get them out of here. Were you guys not just listening to what I just said, but Jesus is going to get there. But he says, they say, send them away. He says, send them away. Send them away and go into the surrounding countryside. It's interesting here. These men were at the first miracle at, the, at Cana. You remember this in John chapter 2? We're Baptists, but we've got to talk about it's in the Bible. There was wine at there, not the wine of today, certainly, but there was wine at the miracle. You remember what happened? They ran out of wine, and they got embarrassed. And Jesus' mom, Mary, comes up to him and says, Jesus, do your thing. And Jesus did his thing. And there was more wine, and they were all happy and happy and happy. We'll chase that rabbit another day. But they neglected to look to Jesus here in this passage like Mary looked at Jesus. They had forgotten. Jesus is teaching, and I don't care about you. This, I don't want this to sound super spiritual, super pastoral, but I'd rather miss ten meals if I'm under the word of God. But they were ready to eat. Some people live to eat, and others eat to live. And this is not like someone died. They missed meal. And these disciples have good motives. But Jesus is going to tell them another way. Let's go to number three, and we'll close with this. We need not only to show, take a break, show compassion, but we need to meet the other's basic needs. I want you to see what happens here. As he answers them in verse 37, Jesus says, Will you give them something to eat? And he actually gives them three commands here. He tells them first in verse 37, he says, You give them something to eat. This is a very calculated command by Jesus. He, 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 he's going to show their total inability. He's reminding them of the words that will come later, John 15, that apart from me, you can do nothing. And as any good accounting person would say, well, Jesus, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus, that's not in the budget. 
Jesus, that wasn't approved. Jesus, this isn't something that you can do. And then he gives him the second command, verse 38, and he doesn't answer him directly. He just answers in a side way. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. Go and see. And again, he's going to show them how very little can turn into very much. And they come back. Can you imagine them going around each person, looking in their sacks? Hey, you got some food in there? Uh, What's this look like? And with all that looking, which with 15 or 20,000 people, you've got to estimate maybe an hour, maybe 45 minutes. I don't know how you do this. We're assuming Jesus is still going to be teaching during this time. So it's kind of like when someone gets up in church, it's that weird kind of, oh, what are you doing? You know, but so they're looking around and they come back and report five loaves, two fish. They had a small amount to give to meeting those needs. Friends, when we look into the budget, our pockets, and one another, what kind of ministry can we see God do? We fail to look to the Lord. And then he tells them, they report it back, and he gives them the third command there in verse 39, and he commanded them all. Notice, notice, notice this isn't just a, hey, if you want to sit down. This is a divine command. This is from the word of God. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups. Orderly fashion is a preview for them to get organized and fed. By 50s and 100s, different commentaries will give you specific things through this. But he tells them to do these very things. And then I love what happens next. They sat down in groups, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. I want you to notice something very clear here in the text. It says, hopefully in your Bible, it has something to this effect. He said a blessing. What is he blessing? Friends, he blessed the food. He blessed the Lord who provided the food. Or he didn't bless the food, rather. He didn't say, Lord, bless this food. He blessed the Lord. Sounds so obvious, but I, I find even in our own short blessings with our kids, how, you know, Lord, th- thank you for the food. No, thank the Lord for the food. Does that make sense? That little nuance there? It's a big difference. It's like someone coming up to you and say, hey, I like your bank account, and I like you as a friend, too. Would you give me some money? It wasn't a spontaneous creation by the food, but by God. Psalm 103 reminds us that, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. And verse 2, bless the Lord and forget none of his benefits. And he just kept giving it to him. Notice what it says. He kept giving it to him, and he gave it to the disciples, and he divided all the two fish among them. This miracle took place while they were carrying the loaves to the people. Was it while they were walking around that that loaves just suddenly appeared in the the thing? I don't think so. The miracle took place while the loaves and the fish were in the hands of the Lord. He's creating it right there. He's he's his own little factory, if you will. While they were there, they would come up and take it from his hands. It just kept coming. How cool would that have been to see? Jesus, where'd the two fish go? Oh, here's two more. Where'd the five loaves go? Here's two more. He just keeps coming. How did he do it? I don't know, but I do know that it happened. Can I step aside for just a second? We often say that baby births are miracles. Friends, that happens every day, and they are in in their own right. A miracle is something that happens in a way, in a shape, in a form that doesn't often happen. It is a blessing to have babies. We have three of them. You can come change diapers any day you want. Come on down. But what is happening here by the creative power of God is a miracle itself, literally something you do not see every day. It is coming out of his hands. It's coming out of his hands. We don't know all the details, but it just keeps coming. How amazing is that? This God, who the Lord of all, is teaching them that a much comes out of a little.
They kept taking and taking, and he kept creating, creating, and creating. This is our sovereign, all-powerful God's ability to create so much that in verse 43, they took up the 12 loaves full of broken pieces and all the fish, and all those who ate the loaves were of 5,000 men. Friends, what a crazy thing, and they were satisfied. Sometimes we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I don't know if you can do this anymore. You did it back then, God, but can you do that work here, Lord, when things don't look how they should? Friends, let me just tell you this. I've been pouring out my heart over these verses this week, and I stand before you. You cannot outgive God. Do you realize that? Your time, your resource, your, your, your efforts, 5,000 of them ate. Let me just throw you three reminders here. Amy will put them up. Do only what you can do. You have limitations. You do. You're not going to get up on the top of this roof and say, Lord, I want to be Superman. Give me wings to fly, and he's going to grant you that request. It's probably not going to happen. But do what you can. Darren, my time is limited. My resources are limited. But God, I can do this. Not just schedule you in, but Lord, in this parameters that you have given me, this is how I can serve you. Then be faithful in how God can do that. Because number two, you need to trust Jesus to do what only he can do. These men went around looking for the five loaves and two fish, looking through knapsacks or tunics or whatever they did, whatever that picture is, but they trusted that God was sufficient and God was able to do it, and he was. And recognize that a little can become a lot with Jesus. Darren, I'm not as strong as I used to be. Darren, I, I, I can't give financially as much as I can. God, Darren, my time is shot. I, I'm tired all the time. Give what you can to the Lord. Let him bless it. Never underestimate what God can do through a person who is faithful to the Lord. So what, what do we learn from this even more? Let me just, and Amy, if you just want to throw these up, uh, just throw them all up, that's fine, for sake of time. Friends, this is such a familiar passage, but I hope you're encouraged by it. First, the Lord is filled with loving compassion towards us. Don't think that when you pray, you're having to convince God something to do for you that somehow he will cave to our demands. We need to ask, we need to seek, we need to knock, as the scripture says. But on the other side of that door is a loving Savior who feels compassion for us and desires our good. You know, uh, I did not put this in my notes, but uh, I scribbled it in. I didn't know if I'd chase this rabbit. You know, Benny Hinn, and I've preached against Benny Hinn from this pulpit. He, he's a charlatan in so many ways. And you need to hear that, friends. He does not preach gospel truth, but... Whether this is false repentance like Simon the Sorcerer or not, but when Billy Graham died on Wednesday, here's some gospel fruit-ish that came out. He had a Facebook Live, Benny Hinn did. And he said, you know, I apologize for always overselling the fact that God wants you rich, God wants you to have Lamborghini, and God wants you to have a big house. His words. Now, whether he'll sell his $16 million home, transfer in his Lamborghini or anything else, but here's the cool thing. And you can listen to this. Go to the Midwestern website. This came up a couple weeks ago. He has a nephew named Costi, Costi Hen, his nephew, who was living the high life in Lamborghinis at age 22 and by God's grace heard the true gospel for the first time and came to know Jesus Christ. And nephew Costi has been witnessing to Uncle Benny, according to all the notes, and he was just at Midwestern's campus a couple weeks ago, uh, to all the notes and all the conversations that I've heard and the podcasts about him, that there seems to be some fruit for Uncle Benny. Will you pray for Benny Hinn to be truly saved? Who knows what God can do through something like that? This loving, compassionate Savior 
who feels for people who want to do their own thing is the same God who hears you when no one else will hear you. Parents who ache over their child who does something, how much more does the God of Scripture work for whoever, whatever comes our way occupies us? You go before a throne of one who is seated at the right hand, who's always ready, who's always willing, and always able to come to our aid. That is our God. Secondly, we are always limited in supply, and we have not the best resources. That is the daily reality of being a Christian. Sometimes the greatest curse that can happen in our lives is for us to have enough financial things, enough material things that we don't realize that spiritually speaking, all we really have are five, lo five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we stand in the sandals of those disciples. We look around and we say, Lord, there's this big group of people in Kansas City that need you. And he says to us, you feed them. You reach the world. You go reach KC. You go reach people who need Christ. But like the disciples, we have to say we have limited resources. And thirdly, what little we have, we have to put in the hands of Christ, church. Sometimes people say, I don't have a lot of giftedness, but put what little you have and watch God do amazing things. I can speak from testimony on that. I can recall it very clearly in my mind, and I know some of you are going to laugh, and you're going to say, Darren, you're a young man. I still am. Uh, in 1997, 20 years ago, when I was in uh, junior high, I think it was in eighth grade, I was asked to fill in for the uh, student, I was the vice president of the student council, which whatever that means in junior high, I don't know. Uh, it's not like I'm running for office. But I had to stand because uh, the, the president was sick, and I had to give a speech before I played hooky for a week because I did not want to stand in front of people. I hated it. I still get nervous. But by God's grace and, and through what it is, I, one time when God called me to ministry in 1999, I said, Lord, you know I can't speak to save my life, and I still can't by God's grace. But give him what you have and see what he can do with it. And Jesus himself said he's the bread of life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there is one way to heaven, and it is through him. And he himself is the only way you can be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we come before you, we are not...